Grab that Thrustmaster, it's time to fly for the corn fed. All this and more, this week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. The passing of a legend. Brand new DIY computer inspired by Sir Clive. Wing Commander 4 Remastered. All this and more on This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, chaps. Another week, uh, another well, another weekend as this show comes out on Saturdays and, and we'll pretend that we record it just before it's released on a Saturday. Of Is course. it not Saturday? That's slick and professional. It honestly doesn't take all week for us to record this and edit it up and <laughs> have the show that comes out, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but it's been a good week. Um, we've just had in the cave uh, a patron event. So all of the official cave dwellers came full house it was fantastic and it was the first time we got to give people the tour of the arcade that we're building alex was such a natural at giving people the tour he really has got the gift um at talking people talking talking to people um like and you. just and, and like me <laughs> <laughs> and um and just sharing all that knowledge he has about the history of these arcade games so i think nice. people really enjoyed it and it was nice to see we had 30 bodies in the arcade and it was nice to see there was room for them. I was worried that, it, you know, once you got the retro, the, the meat in there, as we've called it before, <laughs> the meat in the retro sandwich, that there wouldn't be room for the cabinets and it would look um, cramped. But it was fine. So that's great. And we've got lots more cabinets arriving this week. I'm blown over um, by them. I really am blown over the cabinets that are coming. It just, the, oh, it, it's just yeah. everything. It's just a, a wish list of, of cabinets. You could, you could, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even dare hope they'd be this good. It's incredible. Beautiful. It really um, is tip, tipping into that museum experience, not just an arcade. It's like a, a real step by step history through um, arcades. So it's fantastic to see that coming along. And Alex is doing a great job. Uh, then we had the rest of the patron day, and then we went for a curry. What's an acceptable amount of time to go, chaps? I'm going way off topic from retro here, but I need to get this off my chest. What's an acceptable amount of time to wait from the moment of arriving at a curry house to having your food in front of you? 30 minutes. Probably about 40 minutes is the longest. Assuming yeah. they come in and say, let's get you a drink. Let's get you the menu. Are you ready to order? There you go. 40 minutes. At 40 minutes, you're kind of looking at your watch thinking, is this going to be any longer? I also have yeah. to spend some time arguing with the waiter that, in fact, it is safe for me to have a vindaloo and I'm not going to die. I do have that conversation <laughs> quite frequently. But, yeah, 30 minutes in my view. Yeah, yeah. maybe a popadom and a pint of cobra while you're waiting for yep. the food to come out. Yep. A bit of chat, yeah. Well, two hours. Two hours <laughs> is how long it took. In fact, just over two hours is how long it took. And and um, yeah, I think it took about an hour to, get, to actually order the food, at which point the chap said... Um, you know, right, does anyone want any starters? And there was just a universal, no, <laughs> if yeah. we order starters, we're going to be here for five hours. Um, yeah, two hours. Uh, it was awful. Anyway, got that off my chest. Let's move on to more <laughs> positive things. Chris, you've got a train behind you on your screen. Train. Hang on, how was the curry? Was the curry worth the wait? I was so hungry, it didn't touch the sides. So it, oh, was, it, it, it just filled a space. <laughs> That's probably why they did it. Probably it was dodgy food day. <laughs> it was the leftovers <laughs> from the day before. Oh, like. also, also, um, also, if you went up to the facilities and used the toilet, this was brilliant. The toilet door had a perfect cut in the door in the shape of a toilet because they'd obviously installed the toilet, installed the door, and then realized the door wouldn't open. What? So when you <laughs> open the door... <laughs> What? <laughs> the, the shape of the toilet was in the door so that it could go, the door could go through the toilet. I like that. I like that. <laughs> of course, it meant you had a toilet sized hole so it was... when you, if you sat on the toilet. I'm so confused. <laughs> anyway. Hey, we won't be going back there again. Trains. Yes, it's this trains. week in trains. I'm, I'm hijacking the show. Remember at the start when I you know, first came over and you know, started helping you present on here and I tried to segue into cars? It's trains now, Neil. Sorry. Yeah. So we're going to ditch mm -hmm. computers. and Now, some of the stuff I bought back over from England, some of my uh, toys from, from my past. So it is sort of retro and nostalgia related, but I bought some of my Hornby trains over with me. So I've just, in all honesty, that's what I've been playing about with computers and games have taken a sideline and I've been on the floor on the carpet setting up tracks that go round and round and even the wife has gone so what do you do with it when you've set it up and i go well you watch them go round and round i don't understand why that's a problem <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's me <laughs> 
Yeah, I wasn't sure, Chris, if you treated your train sets like um, <laughs> pristine, um, I guess, boxed microcomputers and you never took them out but clearly you do you get them out yeah. you spread them out on the floor but i bet you put them back perfectly in the box don't you well the, the, the box i'm actually surprised to see that i still had the box for the intercity 125 set that i had um but it was fairly crushed up in my parents loft so no i used to play with that back in the day and it'll be happily played with again the fact that the box oh, exists great. is is just pure fluke the i've got a modern one though the um uh, flying scotsman set that's a modern one that i bought for my dad um and so now it's mine been passed down to me um and that is brand new so that will probably all go back in the box yeah but no at some stage i'll be finding a piece of chipboard setting out a whole layout tacking it all down like you're meant to and and annoying the wife with taking up even more space in the house with another hobby so yeah <laughs> i'm excited awesome. dave maybe dave, maybe she's going to you... insist that you have a strike <laughs> oh, nice dave can you out nerd train sets <laughs> um other than everything we talk about in here no um <laughs> no I, I don't think i can i've never i've honestly never seen the appeal oh, of it man. i mean I, I can see the when, when you see the the people having complicated setups that they've mm. made things by hand and so on it's nice to have a quick look at it for a few minutes but the, the amount of work that goes into it doesn't seem to i, I don't get it so i, I i'm not uh, i'm not on on board your train um i suppose you go can round compare and round. it to a lot of you can compare it to a lot of what we do which is you yeah. know sometimes the pleasure is in repairing the system yeah. and mm -hmm. then once you've fixed it and cleaned it up yeah. and it's looking like new you don't actually do that much yeah. on it yeah. so i i yeah. imagine there's a lot of crossover getting there. it just so getting it just right having mm. trying to find some peace and order in a complicated life that's it that's what yeah. it's about yeah having some control what have you been up to dave well, I was, uh, I finished, I did finish that game I talked about last week, which I, I really enjoyed. Uh, I've now forgotten the name of, but I forgot, I enjoyed it, uh, the 3D one. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. It was a good game. I, I, oh. If you know what game Dave is talking about, then please leave a comment. <laughs> well, I watched, I watched a video on YouTube and I watched a video on YouTube with an Australian and uh, when he's back in the UK, if he nudges me, I will give you anything you need to get your uh, Pentium 2 system, your Celeron, up and running. It looks as if it may need a new power supply or more bits. I have lots of bits. I'd love to get you up and running in that when you're back in England. Oh, nice. Fantastic. <laughs> so give me a little dunt when it's, uh, when it's time for that. Yeah, yeah, cool. We'll tee something up. Excellent. Should we move into this week's stories? Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Do it. We start this week off with a story submitted by listener Mr. Costardo. Hello, Costardo. Um, it's some sad news this week, and um, it's becoming more and more frequent as the pioneers of the industry age with us. And um, it's it's all about the passing of a man who will have, well, I think he would have stopped us in our tracks, all of us, as we walk down the aisles of news agents or corner shops, just through the power of his artwork. It is, of course, Oliver Frey, or Ollie as he's known to his friends, the artist behind the illustrations that we saw on Crash Magazine, Zap64, Amtix, and, and just about um, any other magazine um, that we saw out there. If he touched it, it oozed coolness, oh, especially those Crash and Zap64 magazines. And it will likely come as no surprise that he was a fan of comics in his youth. That style is... Um, very clear in the art that he does, particularly The Eagle. That was his comic of choice, apparently. And even in the early 80s, he got to work on some comics. He got to work on Dan Dare, as well as a comic series, which um, I know I've seen Mr. Costado talk about over on Discord, Tales from the Trigon or Trigon Empire. And that one passed me by. D Dave, are you familiar with that one? I know you've got a few comics in your collection. I did read The Eagle, the second release of The Eagle uh, in the 80s. Um, so mm. I must have, I, I think he worked there or did something for it. So I must have seen the Dan Dare stuff there. I did read it. Uh, my dad originally read The Eagle, um, but I don't I don't recall. It was so long ago. It was very, very young. It was pre, it was maybe six or seven years old. So I don't really remember it. Sure, sure. He also did other work under the uh, pen name of Zach. He illustrated erotic fiction. But I think for our audience, uh, it would mostly be those 8-bit micro-magazines that really did stick with us. So let's, I think, uh, celebrate his life and some of his art. 
And um, remember, this is a podcast, so we might need to be descriptive when talking about the art for our audio only. Ideal listeners. topic for a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> so um, I thought we could just pick out some of the art that stands out for us. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to go first. Um, I mean, there are if we're if we're thinking about. Well, when we think about Ollie Frey, my mind immediately goes to Crash Magazine. I know he did other work, but that's that's where it stands out for me. I'm just going to pick the Barbarian cover. Um, that was from Crash issue 41. It's the one that depicts a barbarian covered in blood. His opponent's on his knees. He's got a sword held to his opponent's throat, and he's about to finish the fight. And um, I think this one stuck out for me because it, it's gory. Of course, it's gory. There's blood all over this Barbarian. It's not the only one by Ollie to be gritty and blood covered and gory of course but when you saw this or when i saw this on the shelf mixed with all the other computer magazines you had other magazines that were super serious they had computers on the front cover they had businessmen holding luggable computers going this is the future and it was all a bit predictable in its nature so when you saw ollie's artwork on a crash magazine it just stood out from the crowd um and as a kid it wasn't talking down to me you know it was it wasn't trying to be highbrow in any way it was just fun and it was gory and it was it was on my level in fact it was above my level i looked up to it and respected it it wasn't talking down to me as i said so um it it, it was enough i would say to make me want a zx spectrum as an amstrad owner <laughs> i know he illustrated amtics as well but Calm um, down. Hang on. <laughs> uh, nearly nearly made me want to have a zx spectrum uh, such was the power of his art so um yeah and it's actually in later years that i started collecting crash magazine driven i would say in part by his art just you know i've got many magazines which i haven't had the time to pick up and read yet but i lay them out just so i can see that cover art and of course he did illustrations it wasn't just about the cover art he did illustrations inside the magazines as well um but yeah the barbarian one i i, I remember vividly in w h smith seeing on the shelves and standing out a very I, I guess a personal memory it's not saying it's the best piece of art he ever did it just stood out for me um yeah, Dave, how about you? What memories did you have of Ollie's well, artwork? I used to buy Amstrad Action and then ST Amiga format and then ST format, and I missed out on the artwork. I tended to go for the the more clickbaity front pages, the more kind of, here's the value we're going to give you in this. So they typically used um, that rather than um, the more cerebral artwork, the more creative, inspiring artwork that he did, um, or they used artwork from the big game they were reviewing. Um, he worked for Newsfield set of magazines, which was Crash, Zap, and Amtix, as you've already mentioned, and Amtix was the Amstrad one. Um, I have only recently learned that there was a sort of a, a tie-in with 2000 AD, which is a gritty British comic that Judge Dredd, among other things, came from. And they, they wrote a comic for him, and he illustrated it, and it was split into 12 parts in four pages each and put in a crash and then later into Zap. So I'm going to look that out. Um, I've got the magazine somewhere in one format or another, so I'm going to look that out and have a look at that because that sounds interesting. But I did, I must have at least have bought some issues of Amtix um, because I remember Amtix Accolade, which was their award for a good game. That definitely rings a bell. Um and I don't think I was especially loyal to any one magazine. I just took whatever was promised the most on the cover and later the cover disc. So there's three covers I want to talk about and two of them I had back in the day. The first one is um, from issue 13 in November 87 of Amtix. And it's a fantastic spaceship drawing. And I always liked uh, that type of art, particularly around games, because it lets your imagination fill in the gaps when you're playing the games. It's a round metallic spaceship with several windows in the front and lasers shooting out from the front. The lasers are, are bright white and you can see the reflection and the light of the metallic ship. But because of the position of the eight windows on the ship, it looks very much like an insect or arachnid, especially with some of the bits sticking out looking like antenna or legs. I don't have the picture of that in front of me, but just from the way you're describing it, I think that's related to the Houston Soft game, uh, of which I can't remember the name right now. Um, but I can see it now. Do you know the, na the, the game I'm talking about? Um, I'm wondering if I can keep on talking long enough to look it up <laughs> and pretend that I did. Um, I'm going to find out. Cybernoid. Yes. Is it a red ship? With no. Okay. Well, then there's another one that he does, which was um, for the review of Cybernoid on the front of Crash, and it's a round red ship with lasers shooting out and almost like the universe is exploding behind him or, or some starship that he's blown up. He really captures those space scenes well, doesn't he? 
Yeah, th- this is. Um, I'm not sure if it's related to a game. It's. Uh, I'm not sure if it's related to a specific game or if he's, if it's if it's in the magazine. But this one's kind of a grey metallic color. Um, so that that's great. And the other two that I thought were kind of similar and quite appropriate. The one that I remember is on the final issue of Amtix before it was merged into another magazine, and it's of a CPC four six four made to look like a huge enormous spaceship and the distant part of it is exploding in the middle of an asteroid belt so it's it's obviously it's a life-size 464 because that's how, how big they really are uh, and this was the final issue of Amtix and it's only now that I realize that the very first issue of Amtix which I didn't see back in the day because it came out before I got my 6128 it had the same scale of CPC 464 taking off from a planet so it looks with a couple of people on a rock watching it so it looks as if he'd cleverly made the the start and the finish of Amtix this 464 spaceship taking off and then finally blowing up and if you actually look at Chris Chris, uh, Wilkins um, re-release of Amtix he's used um, a zoomed in part of it there so mm-hmm. you can see the um, you can see the four six four spaceship taking off with thrusters coming out the bottom of it. So I thought that was quite impressive because it's, um, well, because of the start and finish of Amtix. That's some good continuity, yeah, yeah. Mm. And you mentioned that re-release of Amtix because, of course, Ollie was um, good friends and working closely in more recent years with Chris Wilkins over at Fusion Retro Books. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you're interested in um, you know the new versions of Amtix. Um, unique pieces of artwork that yeah. they were selling of Ollie's signed, not signed, framed, all the rest of it. Um, then check out Fusion Retro Books because you'll find yeah. a lot of really awesome stuff I would, there. Um, I, I would encourage people to subscribe to Amtix CPC because I want it to be a success and continue because I like it and I wanted to keep going. <laughs> yeah, they've got some lovely binders for them as well. New binders for the new Amtix looks great. Um, another thing that Ollie did really well was he, he could put a unique take on existing characters that we were familiar with. So if you ever saw the artwork for Turrican, um, you know, it was instantly familiar as this is the character from Turrican. Does the character from Turrican have a name or is it just called, are they just called Mr. Turrican? What I think, um, if I remember right, it's called Neil. Neil, okay, <laughs> yeah, must be. Awesome name. <laughs> um, no, Ollie managed to uh, really capture the essence of how the game felt to play while creating a, you know, a completely new-looking character that was new and yet familiar at the same time. Likewise with Barbarian and so many other games. I mentioned Cybernoid. He was able to take you know, the blocky mm-hmm. graphics of an 8-bit game and just really bring them to life. He did that so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I if I go back to what what I was mentioning about filling in the gaps in your head, that's mm. the kind of thing that helps. When we saw the magazines, we saw the artwork there, we saw the game box and all the rest of it, and then we played the game. We kind of filled in the gaps in the game with with the artwork. Yeah, mm. and Ollie had the skill to actually fill you know fill those gaps and then put pen to paper and um, yeah. illustrate them in a way that I would never be able to do, even with my best crayon hand <laughs> he was so talented in what he did um chris how about you tell us about your memories of ollie Frey illustrations inside mags that um perhaps captured your imagination yeah well i mean to be honest similar to dave i'd never uh, read any of those magazines i was more a sinclair user or uh, your sinclair um oh, very serious during the 8-bit yeah and then obviously with the amiga, <laughs> train, it, was, train it was amiga format all the way whilst playing with train sets in between not even joking really control car street hockey let's not even go into my other hobbies from back then but obviously i would have seen them in the shops um so i've had to have a point of reference you know what was connected to oliver frey's work so what, what i've used today is just um oliverfreyart.com uh, um, and just to browse through the images that, that i can see there so i can get a look at his artwork and and some of the ones that really stood out for me, um, one is the elite image. So I believe this was from issue one of um, Zap sixty four, um, according been an to early the website. One for elite. Yeah, and it's nineteen eighty five. And just like you guys were just saying, the artwork, whether it was box artwork or if it was from a magazine cover or a magazine article, that artwork really did fill in the gaps. And I hadn't really considered that until you guys were just discussing it there. 
with this particular image because of now of course now we've got things like elite dangerous and we've had all the you know you had frontier you had um frontier um first encounters and all that kind of thing so we've we've had the graphics to sort of fill in the details whereas back in 1985 well it was mostly wireframe wasn't it um elite on the eight bits um or at the very best it was flat shade poly on 16-bit systems later on so when you look at this artwork, I mean, it's got a beautiful starscape in the background. You've got a little bit of, um, you know, clouding, the, you know, nebulas and whatever. You've got just the corner, just the hint of a, of, a, of a planet or a moon. And you've got what I assume is the cobra right in front and center using beam lasers against whichever ship it's just exploded. So, you know, even though it's a static image, because of course it is, it's artwork, there's so much movement in this. There's other ships coming towards the Cobra, um, firing um, uh, pulse lasers, not pulse lasers, what are they, beam lasers, forget the one, the other pulse. one that you call it. Yeah, it is pulse lasers, isn't pulse. it? Yeah. It's yeah. pulse lasers, yeah. So, unless you know. It's, unless it's uh, mining lasers or yeah, military yeah. lasers. So, there's just so much going on in this one simple image, and that was, you know, the cover image for issue one. And what that strikes me as, it just reminds me of, that could have been a, a promotional piece for any sci-fi movie or TV series of the time. It just fits right in. You know, it reminds me of Buck Rogers. It reminds me of Star Wars. It reminds me of Star Trek. They all had that similar art style in the way they drew the ships, uh, got the light coming from I mean, how do you How do you generate light in a, in a graphic image? They just did it so well, um, you know, with the, with the use of white and then bleeding off to the oranges for the jets coming out the back and the lasers firing out the front. Just a beautiful piece of artwork. The other one, as I scrolled through, that really stuck out, so I just picked two to talk about today, is one for Wet Clement. So when was that for? That was uh, Zap 64, uh, number 45 in 1988. Um, and again, just beautifully drawn Le Mans um, uh, race cars, one coming around behind the other, around a corner. Wet Clement, I know this was for a Commodore magazine, obviously Zach's at 64, but that was one of my favorite racing games on the Spectrum. Um, really proved that you could actually get a decent frame rate on a racing game out of the Spectrum. Played really nicely. Um, and again, this image, it's a static image, but there's, it's just full of motion and full of emotion, I would say. You know, you got they're coming around the corner. One car's probably about to overtake the other as soon as he, he gets onto the straight. Um, and again, it just reminds me of, fr from back in that period, things like Scalectric's box sets or TCR, um, which was a, a, an alternative to Scalectric slot car racing. Again, another hobby back in the past don't get me started um but that's the sort of thing that they put on the box to entice you to buy the toy um and this would have you know definitely sold me the magazine if not the game itself there's just so much coming through in that one simple yeah. image yeah that wet club one one's great i mean the choice of colors is just capturing uh capturing that that dusky period because yeah. Le Mans being a 24-hour race they go into the night so instead of going with gray tarmac there's purples and there's yellows and there's it just captured the that feeling of dusk uh, yeah. and the excitement of racing all in one. That could have been a box art cover for the game easily. It, easily, probably um, better than the actual box art that they did have yeah. on the yeah. game. Yeah, you got yeah. the sun going down. You got the the reflection of the headlights off the off the road there at the front. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, wasn't scared to court controversy um i think he came close a few times with some of these magazine covers we've got um zombies ripping their own heart out and offering it up in their hand <laughs> there was the uh, the one that a lot of people remember was the world championship leaderboard cover a golf game you know a, a, a great game but it's golf it's not the most exciting game um of games and, and he's come up with a, an image of a young lady sucking a lollipop with three young lads in the background just transfixed on her and then in her glasses somebody playing golf there's just a tiny snippet of somebody playing <laughs> golf as a reflection in the glasses the rest is just is obscene well obscene if you think about it too hard image and you know <laughs> It's the there's nothing there's nothing wrong with the image <laughs> that seems fine that image is absolutely fine i don't know what you're going fine, on about. in my head uh you've got arcades with monsters bursting out of the screen grabbing people there, there's all sorts but it's all so exciting and so well done and um i think anyone listening right now to the show will appreciate or have appreciated at some point at some uh, point the art of um ollie Frey. he really did lead the pack with his illustrations in our magazines and i think the, the gratitude we all have for his body of work is is huge. Um, Ollie is survived by his long-term partner and collaborator, Roger Keane, and our thoughts are very much with him, with Ollie's friends, and with Ollie's family at this time. 
And uh, I'd just like to say thank you, Ollie, for all of the work and all of the happiness that you gave us over the years. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have uh, been watching, but the BBC Archive YouTube channel has been dropping some very interesting videos recently. Um, They really tug at the nostalgia strings, hey? Um, uh, Of course, um, I mean, what's better than a video about the past? And let's not knock the very thing we're into, but it's a video from the past. There's just so much that comes out in, in watching that kind of thing. And of course, the BBC were very good at not only championing everything British, but also producing excellent programs on technology and innovation. So Sheepy Tina on the subreddit brought a recent upload to our attention, and it's all about Sir Clive Sinclair, the father of the Sinclair Spectrum, of course, and the C5 electric car. I will call it an electric car. Um but also things like the uh, Pocket Calculator, the Affordable Digital Watch, and the Pocket TV are among many innovations he's credited with. As the piece shows, if he wasn't inventing something as a first, he was trying to make an existing technology better and more affordable to the masses. Or, to quote himself, to do for 10p what anyone could do for a pound. And he says that in the interview. Um, and, the, and the video in question, which is well worth your time, as it only goes for nine minutes anyway, is all about his stab at making a flat screen TV that, as the reporter points out in the piece, could one day perhaps simply be hung on the wall rather than producing uh, uh, protruding sorry, into the room. I mean, uh, an example right behind me, you know, on my wall here every week. We're all used to that as a reality, but back then that was Choo-choo. seriously... The stuff of science <laughs> fiction. Not, not not always with a train on it, Dave. Not always with a train. Sorry. Of course, if you were if if you were wealthy enough and you had the space and the skill, you would just knock a hole in your chimney so the whole back end of so that true. CRT could slot into the wall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that would be another way of doing it. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it blows my mind. This was you know this was back in 1981-1982. This innovation it was being discussed, and you know we couldn't have even dreamt of it back then. Back in the day, all I knew was that my mates had ZX Spectrums. I didn't really know anything about Clive um, or Sir Clive. And all I knew is I wanted a ZX Spectrum. And it's only recently that I've learned about all the inventions and innovations that Sir Clive worked on. And I marvel at how much of his vision has actually come to pass uh, in certain ways. Yep, so personally, I I really think about Clive Sinclair as a man ahead of his time who continues to inspire even today. And that brings me on to a DIY computer project um, that as confessed by its creator, Ivan Farafontov, is inspired by Sinclair Computers. Ivan details in his video, shared with us by OzRetroComp, his Z80 single-board computer. So this machine, um, as he details in the video and also in the description, is a machine he's built from the ground up, and it features a Zilog Z80 10 megahertz CPU, 8 kilobyte ROM, 8 kilobyte VRAM, 48K RAM, two serial ports, so nine-pin serial ports um, that are controlled by a Z-Log SIO IC, two Atari-compatible joystick ports. Sorry, those are the nine-pin ports. Um, uh, They're controlled by the first Z-Log PIO IC, an AY sound generator by General Instruments, a a completely custom mechanical keyboard, which has the second Z-Log PIO IC uh, chip, and uh, a Z-Log CTC clock chip servicing blanking video interrupts. And yes, most of that is complete Dutch to me, and I'm quoting directly from the video description. The whole thing, as he mentions in the video, is built then from readily available brand new parts with the exception of the AY chip. Um, It's mounted in a very sleek looking gray painted 3D printed case. And the mechanical keyboard mentioned before is again, fully custom with its own special PCB. Ivan says in the video description that um, this is a, basically he describes it as the Sinclair ZX Spectrum personal computer reimagined. It's what I wanted it to be is a direct quote from what he says. Um, And the best way I can describe this to to the listeners is imagine an Acorn Electron, but in grey, but uh, booted up and it boots to a white screen with a, sorry, a black screen with a white command prompt, similar to the Acorn, Um, but obviously with an internals that are are more like the the Spectrum than the Acorn Electron. 
Around the back, Envision, all the required ports are integrated with no need for add-on cards. But of course, there's no expansion edge connector either. Uh, and before we got it, get into what he demos on the machine, what do you guys make of this? Neil, have you had a look? Yeah, it's very grey, isn't it? It's it's very yeah. battleship grey, I would say, is the colour. Um, it's a fun-looking project. Uh, just going back to the BBC Archive that you mentioned, uh, the BBC Archive YouTube channel, well worth a visit. But if you go there, go to the uh, Retro Tech, go to their playlists, and they've got a whole playlist called Retro Tech, and it's got everything there from um, a programme in 1964 about Concord. Uh, what else have we got here? Moog Synths. Um, the car that runs on chicken poo in 1971. <laughs> what is a computer virus? Interview with Clive Sinclair. Paul Daniels on computer games. I like um, that and one. Quite a funny one to watch. Kenneth Williams presenting a thermoelectric watch. So um, it is... I mean, imagine Kenneth Williams presenting a, a science piece. It's everything you would expect from Kenneth Williams presenting a science piece. It's brilliant. Um, so there's loads of great things to watch in that. Uh, coming back to this computer itself, I love the fact that he said it is the ZX Spectrum that I wanted. It's his own ZX Spectrum Next, if you like. Mm, true. It doesn't matter that somebody else has done the ZX Spectrum Next. And there have been loads of other clones over the years and expansions on the ZX Spectrum, um, particularly by... Um, people in sort of Eastern Europe who really were using the Spectrum late and then developed it further and then in fact got involved in the ZX Spectrum's next development and things like that. Hmm. So loads of people have said, what did I want the ZX Spectrum to become? And that's no reason to stop doing it yourself. This is one of those things where nobody has the right to say to you, "Why? what have you done that for, mate? Why have you done that? Because I could and because I wanted to. And those are some of my favorite projects. Um, it's a really neat looking board. Uh, he's built it from the ground up with joystick ports on, which indicates to me that he wanted to have some fun with this from the start. Um, and two, not just one. Uh, yeah, two, two yeah. Um, D9 joystick ports. Um, he shows a demo, which you mentioned you want to talk about in a minute, Chris, so I won't go into that. Uh, I'm, in that demo, I didn't see any color clash. So his graphics card, which he's implemented on a, on a CPLD um, chip, is it appears to be an improvement over the original Speccy, although I've only seen one thing demoed on it. Yeah. But it looks like he's taken that and gone, well, this is how I wanted the Spectrum to evolve. This is what I wanted better. The AY chip we had in the later Spectrums, but he's added that into his. Um, yeah, so just piecing it all together, I guess... What he's made is an Amstrad CPC, right, Chris? Oh, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, didn't see that coming. Um, no, it's not at all. No. <laughs> what it, it really does, actually, and I've got one sitting right here in front of me on the desk because it's always there, it really does remind me of the Acon Electron, especially the fact that he's implemented mm. a, a proper, you know, full-size key keyboard, um, and it's a mechanical mm. keyboard, so that really does hark back to the Electron. But, yeah, with with similar to Spectrum internals. Um that's a question. Would Sir Clive have won the BBC contract if the ZX Spectrum had come out looking like this project? That that would be an interesting well, it's not, alternate it's reality. It's not the first time that question's been asked, is it? Because mm. we had a story some months back where somebody created a Spectrum of their own based on that question. You know, yeah. could this have won the contract if if Sinclair had done this? And that was an interesting thought exercise as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So what does he demo on it? Well, he demos basically some of the commands that uh, he's got built into the the, the ROM um, and shows how he would then load a game. And the game that he loads is a custom version of Boulder Dash, um, which seemed to run very smoothly. And as you said, Neil, didn't seem to have any color clash, ran nice and fast, smooth scrolling. Um, and then he, he got, comes out of that and he boots into a custom tile editor that he wrote himself and explains how it's this tile editor that he used to customize the version of boulder dash that we would had been seeing in the demo before yeah i couldn't tell if it was color clash or not because i think every sprite that was on there was a square so i don't yeah. think there was any overlap to be able to actually say if there was color clash but i'm assuming that he's developed that yeah yeah um, one of the important things to note here is um even though it, it, we're referring to it is his vision of the spectrum it isn't spectrum compatible and he is very clear in in that um in the video so yeah but it looks it's a nice little, little project i like it did you have a look dave yeah, I did. Um, I, before I go on to talk about the Spectrum, I want to lament the type of programs that the BBC used to make compared to modern telly. 
Uh, it's been a long, long time since they mm. did these properly informative things, and instead they they pander to clickbait and drama. Uh, I always watch these these old things with a, a touch of melancholy for the time that we used to look forward to the future rather than graspingly at what we have for fear of losing it. Um, it's always interesting to hear the tech pioneers talk. Often they seem to be saying the things that they want you to think that they are thinking rather than what they're actually thinking. Um, Alan Sugar and Steve Jobs in particular. Um, but Sir Clive is right on everything he says here. He really did bring tech to the masses at a low price. Um, I don't know that the television was a was was a complete success, but that that doesn't mean he wasn't trying to do it. Mm. And you could you could see that it wasn't just vaporware. You could see he had a working model of. Uh, the, the television there um, and there was a single line that stood out and it said at present Sinclair has got just a pilot production line underway next door to his old premises at the mill so bald bearded man bringing amazing technology to the masses who's based in the <laughs> mill ring any bells Neil well he did didn't he marry a, a couple of strippers along the way as well so <laughs> so yeah it's, it's pretty much your life story <laughs> i was about to say i haven't quite emulated his life story but no dave knows something we don't <laughs> no, um I, I don't believe lily watches this but lily i apologize no, no resemblance to those comments um now i think you're both wrong about the color clash um when he described how it works, it uses colour attributes, which is oh, what does. causes yeah. oh, which okay. causes the colour clash in spectrum. Oh, okay. And people think that people think people think that the the, the colour clash in spectrums is a bad thing, and it's a double edged sword. The reason why the spectrum was so good is because it used these colour attributes. So it had a a block on the screen, and that block only had two colours: the background and the foreground. But you could have different colours in each blocks. That meant that the screen took a lot less um, RAM so that right. you could move the screen around much faster because it had a lot less data in it, which is why some Spectrum games run faster than the Amstrad, even though the Amstrad had a, a slightly faster processor. The Spectrum had much less mm. data on the screen, so it ran much faster. So people talk about the color clash as a bad thing. It kind of is, and it kind of isn't. If you design a game around the color clash, the game looks good. Like Boulder Dash, oh, for yeah. example, there, you don't see the color clash because it's got he's used each of the blocks he's got for 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 uh, for boulder dash he's used to match what the, the the way the system works so we don't get the color clash uh, right, so I, yeah. I do believe the color clash would be there it's like any limitation those who master the system stand out totally. through their mastery totally. and you see you know even if you don't try and take on the color clash games like last ninja 2 on the spectrum which were just in black and white looked absolutely yeah. superb yeah. so yeah yeah. yeah, get great Sa things out of it. Savage there's, there's was a, a large. Oh, go on, sorry. So there's modern games that that, that use uh, clever ways to get around the color clash, and they mm. end up being they end up having huge sprites, being lightning fast, really zippy, really responsive, really smooth, and you don't you don't feel as if there is any color clash. Yeah, and and they were that's what I was about to say. They were doing that back in the day as well. So Savage, which I think is a fiber title, it was exactly that as a sideways scrolling um, kind of a shooter, run, running and shooting. Uh, well, you're actually throwing axes, but large sprites, lots of color, and you didn't notice the color clash. A lot slower game, but again, large sprites. Trapdoor, you really don't notice it in in yeah. that either. So yeah, yeah, they were even doing it back in the day towards the end of the Spectrum's life, granted, but it but it could be yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, so it's basically a spectrum, but three times the speed. Um, so it gives you a lot of headroom to do things. And so it, it's not compatible, sadly, but it's a neat little project. Hmm. So Ivan has kindly shared all the schematics on his uh, GitHub page. Uh, so while this isn't available to buy, must be clear on that, you can, of course, build your own version as long as you can get the AY chip. That said, in the comment of the YouTube channel, somebody did, uh, the YouTube video that we're talking about, sorry, someone did say that they'd like to buy one and his response at that time was that he may think about selling it in kit form down the track so he's certainly not made any promises at all um but he but he has mentioned in a comment uh, down in the comment section that is something he has thought about at least so building something like this from scratch is way beyond me i'll be honest about it it just blows my mind that bet it's not I bet it's not well, no, not in kit form, but doing it from scratch and designing ah, the okay, circuit. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. yeah, doing Sorry, it in I kit form. You meant 
And in fact, doing it in kit form is, well, that harks back to what Clive did originally in terms of selling things like the Z80 in kit form so that people could build their own computers at home before they started then using them and programming on them. them. So kit form, if this did come out to buy, actually is a nice full circle. Until the arrival of hard disks, games were mostly constrained to just a few disks, sometimes a little more. And I know that Amiga people are jumping up and down here saying you had games on a dozen or more discs, but the truth is they were hard disk games on DOS ported to the Amiga, which didn't have high-density discs. The arrival of, of hard disk games in the early 90s opened the door to a lot more graphical content in games. The point-and-click games that we keep mentioning, Monkey Island last week, for example, relied on a lot of data to get beyond the simple Sierra style of graphics. And we didn't get a great deal of speech in hard disk games, but we also got just a little. And it's important to remember that the game still shipped in 1.4 megabyte disks, so you still didn't install them from. So they still needed to have a reasonable amount of disks, which meant there wasn't a great deal of content. The next big step forward was CD-ROM games. A CD holds around 700 megabytes. And back then that was gigantic, absolutely enormous. Uh, the difference is, it's just incredible. Um, even in 1996, when CDs were very much mainstream, a typical hard disk was less than this in capacity. Um, you could get hard disks larger than CDs, but most hard disks were less than a CD in size. Now, one of the games that I remember to come in CD and be enhanced is 1994's Ultimate 8. Now, when it came out, it was on floppy disks. Um, I'm holding it up to the, the camera you can see here. And it was originally intended to be a CD game, and they, they went back on that and made it on floppy disks. But they then released an expansion to it at the same time with the speech pack on it. So you could then install even more floppy disks and get it up to what I thought a CD-ROM game should be. But it turns out it's only 37 megabytes in size. So even then, with all that stuff on it, it's still a fairly small uh, amount of floppy disks compared to the size of CDs, about 10%. Now, we talked about uh, the games that were streaming. A few weeks ago, we talked about games streaming audio from CD, and that was one way of using up the space. But the big way for them to use up the space was with FMV cutscenes, full motion video cutscenes. And what that means is the CD would contain video clips. I was a little bit behind the curve with the CD because I didn't get one until maybe 90, 1995, so I missed out the early wave of FMV games. Neil, what's your first memories of FMV in games and do you think they add to the game or are they a cheap trick? Mm, good question. I was just thinking about hard disk capacity. I was very quickly trying to find a chart about average hard disk size at home over the years, but um, I haven't been able to find one quickly well, I, I, I did have a quick look when I was doing the research <laughs> for this and um, it was between 300 megabytes and one gigabyte around 1996. Right. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so 700 meg on a CD. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was significant. Mm. I mean, I got my first CD drive um, even before I had a CD drive in a PC. It was an A570 CD drive on an Amiga. And um, the thing about that was I wasn't really in earnest running CD-based software. I was running floppy disks, which were archived en masse on a CD, extracting them from the CD and running them. There were CD games. There were things like SimCity, which had a few extras thrown in and music and stuff like that. Um, but I wouldn't say I was really using the CD to its potential outside of its floppy archiving uh, potential. Uh, and you're right. Um, I am. Um, I was one of those Amiga users jumping up and down when you said it because I had a copy of Beneath a Steel Sky, which came on, I think, 14 floppy disks. Didn't have a hard drive to install it on. And later, a talkie version would come along that made full use of the CD. Now, I can remember the first CDs I ever bought for PC, and that was when I got my 486 Packard Bell PC. With it, it came with a bunch of multimedia titles, edutainment titles. There was the um, the animals, which was a tour of San Diego Zoo with little postage sized uh, postage stamp sized videos and things like that. But of course, the the big games at the time. Uh, well, I'll come on to those. But the games that I bought at the time to go with that were Day of the Tentacle and TFX, the flight sim. So both of those were available on floppy disk, but TFX had an added CD version of the soundtrack 
which uh, if you got it on floppy disk, it was a MIDI soundtrack. So they'd have, they'd essentially piped the MIDI music through some really high end equipment, recorded it, and released it as as the CD version of the soundtrack. And um, also Day of the Tentacle, which was available on floppy, a LucasArts point and click adventure with added speech. Um, that was really that really shone because it was making full use of the VGA, you know, two hundred and fifty six colors the hard drive capacity to have these tremendous animations in there. It really did feel like you were playing a cartoon. And then to have speech layered on top of that was was superb. I'm not going to talk about Ultima, um, Ultima 8 because it's an absolutely atrocious game that was released way too early. Um, <laughs> we could talk about that Imagine all day. Imagine platform puzzles in an Ultima game. <laughs> I know, I know. Pixel perfect platform jumping. <laughs> But the games, the two games, which um, I didn't actually buy, but I did play, of course, everyone shouted about in this new era of CD-ROMs, was Myst and The Seventh Guest. Did either of you buy those? Can you remember? Not at the time. No. no, no. no. Played a demo of Myst. I've yeah. got them now. They're on my shelves now. Yeah. yeah. Same, same. Now, I have, of course, played them. They're a big part of gaming history, but mm. I was really wary of them. I wasn't going to go out and spend my money on them. A, they were pretty expensive. FMV games carried a premium when they came out, although Seventh Guest, seventh guest did start getting bundled with anything and everything in later years. Um, I just knew I couldn't trust the screenshots. I mean, we grew up with 8-bit micros where you could you had the arcade version and the 16-bit uh, version um, on the back of your Spectrum or your Amstrad tape. So we were all a bit dubious about screenshots. Um, I, I knew that these weren't the uh, these sandbox, fully immersive 3D worlds that you could freely move around and explore. I knew that. Uh, they, were ca- they were fun puzzle games, of course, but they were largely videos with junction points. And the reason I think I was so cautious and savvy to them is because I had previous experience. Mm. Dragon's Lair, Space Ace. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it it had been done before with the Laserdisc format, and we knew this was too good to be true. So Mm. I think those of us who'd had that experience were a little bit more cautious about it. Um, So I was very much on the side of things like the Sierra and the LucasArts games with speech added on top of an Mm. already superb game flight sims with some radio chatter added in or some extra scenery games with some cooler music but the gameplay had to come first in those early cd-rom years for me did get better they did find the balance and i think one of the perfect examples of that was um under a killing moon which was a four cd detective extravaganza which had a 3d world you could explore with cutscenes, with acting um yeah who did you have in there you had some pretty big names in there um james l jones was in there you know darth vader himself <laughs> you had all sorts of actors in there um and yeah they, they did manage to bring it together but even LucasArts came close to slipping too far into the fmv world when they came out with games like full throttle uh, but they did quickly correct themselves um and, and pull that back so and Sierra, they went all in. They went feet first with like the seven CD movie epic of Phantasmagoria and other games like that. So it was really quite hard to avoid FMV in games at its peak. Um, it was an exciting time, but, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, well, we all know how it played out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Command and Conquer is another one with the, the full motion video cutscenes in it, and they were awful. Um, mm-hmm. We now have a remaster of Wing Commander 4. The Kavrathi are out of the picture, and Chris Roberts isn't making this one. I understand that by 1996, he'd already started work on Star Citizen, <laughs> which has been in the works now for 42 years. That, that's, sorry, that's a lie. It didn't start working that until 2010. Um, he, he was involved with this one, but not as much. He was an executive producer rather than a producer of it. Um, so I'm presuming he was in the background somewhere. Wing Commander series is... Origin, who made Ultima, uh, it's their space flight combat sim, heavier in the combat than on the sim. Uh, and this time the game is deeper and it's less black and white with the Kalrathi not being present as the main protagonist. The FMV in this one is really well done and that's the big deal with this series. They've got A-list actors in, they've got Mark Hamill who is Luke Skywalker but also superb voice acting, Malcolm McDowell, uh, John Reese davis and as I said, the FMV in this game is really well done. This is the first game that I think I can think of where the FMV was maybe up to weekly sci-fi drama series rather than the usual um, unrehearsed drama club where nobody's got any idea what's going on. 
you'd rate that above Wing Commander 3, would you? Because that's when Mark Hamill first appeared and they had FMV coming into the series. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I, I, th- this, is where it, this is where they really got... Th- th- Wing Commander 3, when they, when, they, when they picked it up and then this is where it really settled and the story's much better here, it's much deeper, it's much better done. Uh, I'm not saying Wing Commander 3 is bad that way, but this is, this is where it really all, all gelled together. This this is for me. This this is a, a great example of when uh, CDs unlocked FMV for games. Uh, the theme's a bit different as well. The previous Wing Commander vibes of World War Two fighter pilots are still there, but there's far more going on here in the background. There's shades of grey. I, I won't spoil any more. Uh, now the article says that Wing Commander Four hasn't aged well. And I'm not sure I would agree. I think it has aged well, but parts of it certainly have it. And they're right to identify the, the, the full motion video presentation as one of those that can be improved on. Um, but this is one of my favourite types of remaster. It's an unofficial one. Um, and it's done in the way of a fan mod. So you need to own the original game to do it. And I think that stops any copyright problems. I think it stops any ability, plus any, any desire to shut the project down because you need to go to to Gorg and buy the game to use this uh, this this fan mod for it. So it should drive sales in it rather than uh, stop sales in it. So hopefully there. Now it's not ready yet, but there's a demo and it looks great and it will use the original mission files, which in my book is is essential. Otherwise, it's a different game. Um, we've mentioned the X uh, X Wing series fan ma- remakes in the past, and this seems to sit along with them. And I'm delighted it exists. Chris, Wing Commander sounds like it might be in your wheelhouse. Do you fancy it? Yeah, it's an interesting one because it should be in our wheelhouse. And I, I remember, you know, talking about FMV and use of CD-ROM. I remember adding my first CD-ROM to my IBM four eight six SX, um, and I remember trying wing commander back in the time well at the time i was into more the the space games i was into by then were frontier um so elite two frontier and then the much hated frontier first encounters which again is an example of a game that was released too early um it was it was terrible on release really really buggy but that had two versions so you had the floppy disk version which was the, the, the bare game but the cd version if you got your hands on that actually had full motion video so where it had it um and it was actually with with an alpha channel as well so in the floppy disk version the bulletin boards in the game where you're looking for there it is first encounters i love that game i seriously love it um so do i i spent loads of time on it much huge improvement on on frontier yeah it is yeah and you get the thargoids back again and everything yeah so on the on the floppy disk version is that yeah yeah there you go yeah and that's with the patch on this floppy disk on this floppy disk, this is the patch for it. It says Game Tech Fr- Fr- Frontier First Encounters Patch Version 1.06 and written at the top of the disk in handwriting, this patch is a joke. <laughs> so the person that owned this before me got it, got the patch, used the patch, and the patch was a joke. It has since been fixed. They released, yeah. I think, more patches and, and, and other people released. have patched it. But, and, and it's a good game as a result of that. But yeah, famously buggy. We're segueing slightly, but it's fine. Because um, with Frontier First Encounters, um, I had a, a heap of trouble getting it to run. I was lodging at the time, and the guy I was lodging with, um, his machine ran it fine. He had a much better 486 than I did. Um, that ran first encounters absolutely fine my one really struggled and the reason it struggled to even run was because i was pinning all my hopes on the minimum system requirements so i had i had to actually ring up game tech and complain and say how do i get this game to run they couldn't help me out so they said here's a telephone number ring these guys who are they okay they're the developers all right okay so let's ring the developers that happens these days no, 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 no. yeah yeah so who do they end up speaking to now i can't remember if it obviously you got david brabham and who was the other guy i don't know if ian bell was involved in that one no he wasn't no, no. He, okay. he was there uh, so yeah, i think it was david actually david back in the day anyway whoever it was that picked up and I, i'm think the way i tell the story in my head it's like no it couldn't have been david surely i didn't get to speak to david but I actually think it was. But anyway, whoever it was, they basically talked me through making a larger swap file to basically use a file on the hard disk as additional RAM is essentially what that right. does in the code. Um, and that got the game off the ground for me on my 486SX. Still was wow. a bit so choppy. choppy um, yeah. 
but yeah but anyway let's go back to full motion video so in that the the, the floppy disk version on the bulletin board everything was just static graphics um and on the cd version some of those characters were actually replaced with um really really poor um actors uh, pretending to be you know somebody wanting to you know get a ride across the galaxy on your spaceship or whatever you know um, or give you a, a hit a, a pirating contract or whatever so yeah there was that use of cd as well nice i'm going to bring us back on to wing commander the the topic of conversation because oh, I yeah had... sure what was wing commander yeah, that's, yeah. What we, that's what we were talking about wing so i commander. was actually playing that this week uh the reason being i got an analog flight stick for the 3do and a copy of super wing commander mm. which is just wing commander um i guess patched improved it's got a, a far nicer looking um menu system sort of a grittier because the whole menu system is based on walking around a spaceship isn't it a, mm. a, a starship and then you get into your fighter and fly out of it so that's all been overhauled um there's fmv sequences and i can play it with an analog stick with a little throttle on the side of it on the 3do it's a really nice experience to play it that way um my uh, i had wing commander one on the Amiga 500 back in the day, which I absolutely loved. But if I get back and revisit now, it's a complete dog in terms of frame rate and load times. I had, and then I didn't have Wing Commander 2. I went straight to Wing Commander 3 on the on the PC. So that's when the FMV kicked in. Um, I didn't go any further with the series on that. You know, I played Wing Commander. This is what I tend to do. I play a game to death and then I'm not really interested in the sequels because I feel like I've got everything out of it. I feel like I've exhausted it, you know. Mm. Um, so I never went to Wing Commander 4. So actually to try a remastered modern day version of Wing Commander 4 would be a perfect way for me to get back into it. Yeah, I'd like to try this. Yeah. Uh, and say for me, I mean, before I got distracted by Elite for Frontier, um, that's what I was going to say. Basically, I dismissed this back in the day. I dismissed the whole series. Wing Commander 1 and 2 didn't even come on my radar. Number 3, I'd heard it had, you know, Mark Hamill in it and I heard about the full motion video sequences, but I just dismissed it as a poor X-Wing clone with gimmicky FMV thrown in. So, it would be interesting to to have a look at Wing Commander 4 remastered and yeah, use that as my first experience. Yeah, so in my opinion, this is very welcome. Um it's um something i'm really looking forward to i will i will i'm sure play it eventually it's one of the things i'm holding up uh, wing commander 4 there so i've got it ready here waiting for when it arrives no it is box. it's a it's a big big box um you compare it to elite it's slightly bigger than that but yeah right. so um for viewers at home it's viewers at home for people with a black and white television <laughs> it's slightly bigger um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a big, big box. I think that was towards the end of big boxes in 1996. Yeah, and they were they were wondering what to do. Let's make them even bigger. Was there uh, lack of ideas? Yeah. So yeah, I, I I love this type of idea of the idea of doing it as a mod. No one can. I don't think anyone can object. No one's taking money at someone else's pocket, and we end up with a a, a much better game to play. So where, can it, where can you I get can it, Dave? You can have to. You'll have to wait. Uh, Duncan oh. will put a link in there to the demo, and you can look at the video online. I I tend not to to look too much into previews because I think there are too many spoilers. Mm. So I just watched a little video on it. It looks great. It looks it looks absolutely great. They've they've uh, they've improved everything. Um, so I uh, wait, and uh, you'll be if you're patient enough, it'll come out eventually. It's time now for our community question of the week, and I've been really looking forward to this one. I'll just <laughs> remind you what the question was last week. I, I honestly haven't peeked at the subreddit yet to see what the answers are, so this is going to be genuinely the first time I've read them. Um, do you guys have a sneaky look in the week, or do you wait till the show? I've had a look answers? today. You've had a look? I've, okay. not, I've not had a look. Normally I have a look, but I've not had a look today, and I'm glad I've not had a look because the, these, these ideas... Sometimes the ideas submitted are, are, are really daft, like the Golden mm. Axe in VR. Um, and sometimes the catches uh, unawares like Daddy, yeah. Daddy Mulk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so the question of the week last week was, pitch us your ideas for a game-to-movie adaptation. We don't mean things like Tomb Raider, which already has a plot. We're looking at simple games such as Pac-Man, which have no real plot to speak of. What would your choice be and what would the story be? So I, uh, I think Dave's I had a look. In the page. Dave's already giggling, so <laughs> I'm laughing his head not... off. <laughs> um, oh, okay. So the top answer is is very short one for me to read out. It's from Oz. Oz Retro Comp has submitted this, and he simply says, Doom, 
the musical. <laughs> that's it. It doesn't. It doesn't we, elaborate. We know the reply. We know the reply. <laughs> and then suggestive parsnip has replied, featuring the smash hits. Any imp will do. One night in Phobos, strafing in the rain. If I was an arch vile and the unforgettable, don't die for me, armed marina. <laughs> <laughs> Superb, superb, lovely uh, team up there. Suggestive parsnip and Oz retro comp. Doom the musical. We want to see that happen. Um, no. uh, who's going to read the next one? Dave. I'll do it. I'll do it. We're not with the fight we had last week. Um, Kun Mang says the paperboy was having a bad day, a really bad day. After bratty neighbourhood children, this is a novel, by the way. After bratty neighbourhood children missed throws and nearly being flattened by a car backing out, the final straw came when the paper he just threw flew apart, content spreading everywhere. And worse, the inflatable jack o' lantern on the lawn seemed to be laughing at him. What he did next was he would soon come to regret. He locked his eyes on that pumpkin with a twisted grin, took aim, and shot off, ready to give that holiday decoration what it had coming. Too bad he didn't notice the tree right behind it. He woke up to a twisted version of the streets his paper wrote. Is this for real? He asked himself. Am I in some sort of coma? Ahead of him he could see break dancers, people, people pulling out and back into the driveways, kids playing, weirdos on unicycles. Unicycles? <laughs> as he rode delivering papers as he did, he noticed a dark house and looked at the gravestones in front. Just then he collided with the Grim Reaper running at him. The what? As he picked himself up <laughs> off the ground, he noticed the gravestones had changed. He could see a couple of letters appear, the first two letters of his name. His heart sinking, he knew he was in trouble. What would happen when his name was spelled out? He was sure nothing good. If this was a coma, would he? No, he couldn't think about that. He would just have to... Keep delivering his papers and hope that he didn't find out. Watch Paperboy and see the careless news carrier as he winds his way through people and everything in fact, seeming out to get him as he tries to get his papers delivered on Easy Street, Middle Road and Hard Way. Can he do it? Will finishing the route wake him up? Watch Paperboy and find out. Look for the full immersion 360 degree video, video movie next year when you really do become the paperboy. Fantastic. Thank Bravo. you for trying to get me to laugh in that, Neil. Bravo. Uh, yeah, sorry. I don't know if that will come across, but I was playing the paperboy arcade music in the background as Dave was speaking. <laughs> I don't know if that actually gets recorded in the podcast, but um, that's and why he was... Copyright streak. Well, we, we could hear it, so in theory it's recorded. So, yeah. yeah. Paperboy cool. the movie. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty simple premise, the paperboy game, isn't it? So um, there you go. I want to watch that now. I've yeah. Been, uh, yeah, I've been talked into submission to go and watch that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All um, right, there's uh, only one Chris, left. do you want to read the third one? Yep, so from Dave Dev Retro, Dungeon Keeper, a fly-on-the-wall documentary following Kevin the Imp as he gets to grips <laughs> with the trials and tribulations of dungeon life while fending off advances the advantages of M Matilda, the Dark Mistress. There you I mean, go. Yeah, work. I'm up for that. That Apart from I wouldn't be fending off Matilda's uh, advances. I was confused by that. Yeah, why? Come on, why? why? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can see that being a Netflix series. Yeah. That would work. Episodic. That actually would work as a Netflix series, yeah. 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 I mean, we've had Lucifer, the the um, you know the cheeky uh, the cheeky devil, the series about that, which uh, I, I think I got through two series and then it they, they were stretched yeah, out a bit much. Fine. As yeah, they that's do. fine. That was enough yeah. for me. But you know, mm. a series of Dungeon Keeper that could be fun. Yeah, nice. good. Um, Should we do some more because there's so many submissions? Yeah, there's, well, even if we just do the titles, I mean, the next one came from Sundance GE, Tetris X, Bob the Builder. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to have to read this one now. Was oh, it like <laughs> Tetris cross with Bob the Builder? I don't know. Well, let's find out. Yeah, maybe it's Tetris crossed with Bob the Builder. The story of a man whose passion for building houses all of a sudden turns on him as everything he completes suddenly disappears. On the quest to find <laughs> answers why this is happening, NASA issues an alert of giant cubic objects heading for the Earth, and only he can save the Earth if he manages <laughs> to align them just right. Nice. Yeah, that works. Mm -hmm. Any other stand up for you guys? 
you asked for it, so here it is. Pong the Ultimate Challenge. <laughs> featuring Tom Cruise as Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal as himself, and Dwayne Johnson as no Novak Djokovic. The tree was <laughs> accidentally uploaded into a mainframe when an electric storm hits a promotional act. Inside the mainframe, they have to play to death in badly made CGI wireframe tennis courts until they manage to overflow... Overflow? Yes, overflow the points counter. Oh, yes. Overflow the points counter conveniently coded into an 8-bit signed integer to make the mainframe explode. At the end, only Federer survives because Tom Cruise are the best lawyers to negotiate his contract. <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. Who knew Pong Very could good. have such depth of story? Uh, we've got Jumpman, <laughs> the sequel to Running Man, Bring Back Arnold, Give Him Cybernetic <laughs> Enhancement. Classic sci-fi. That's from Ash Duville. <laughs> Um, and then another suggestion is Qbert, a lovable alien with an intense fear of snakes, crash lands in Mexico. You can see where this is going. And after being befriended by some local children, helps them protect an ancient, just discovered Mayan pyramid from greedy resort developers by creating a force field around it, which naturally would involve lots of jumping. <laughs> Very good. Good answers. I think that's the most participated in question of the week we've had. So do go and check it out. Yeah. There's a lot of answers to read through there. Thank you, everyone, for taking part um i think for this week's question in the week we should um continue the celebration of the work of ollie frey and we'd just like to ask you what were your favorite pieces um of art by ollie it doesn't have to be from the computer magazines it could be from the um from the comic books that he worked on from dan dare or from the other ones that we talked about so um just just go over to our subreddit reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro where you'll see the question of the week pinned leave a comment and if possible a link to the image itself whether that's the magazine on archive.org or through um what was the name of the website chris that you mentioned earlier ollie's um artwork website yeah that's a good question is it <laughs> Oliver Frey Art, was it? <laughs> Hang on. I'm having to well, scroll yes. up through OliverFreyArt.com. Yep. Frey is F-R-E-Y. So OliverFreyArt.com. Have a browse through there and see if you want to um, highlight one of those in particular. And if you can, share with us your personal memories. Where did you see it? What did it mean to you? Um, you know, did you draw <laughs> did you draw glasses? Do you remember drawing glasses on your magazines? You'd get your Bic Biro out and you'd scribble all over these. <gasps> Can't right. take you anywhere. What? Imagine the hate you'd get that if you started bringing out Crash magazines now on a YouTube video and just scribbling on the cover. But there would be yeah. these. You get a lot of hits. Please, in his memory, please deface his artwork. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. But this is how disposable things were back then. You know, we treat these yeah. things so preciously yeah. now. Yeah. But they were so disposable, we'd just scribble all over them. Anyway. The the full question of the week will be pinned because I've just gone off and rambled there. So um, Ollie Frey artwork, let's celebrate it. Let's talk about it over on the subreddit. All the links to that and everything else we've talked about today are in the show notes. As always, thank you, Duncan, for your sterling work in editing our rambles. Thank you, guys. Have a good week. And thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Choo-choo. <laughs>